Welcome, episode 99 of the Ask Achieve show, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Peck, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be discussing how to improve your pull-ups, how to get over the fear of getting under the bar during snatches, and how to break through a plateau. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. So holding Kendrick right now, literally the uh, the moment we started, he woke up from his nap and started crying. Diesel was growling at us. Actually, I'll, I'll play it again right here. Answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Peck, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. This is, we can't do this. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the start, so... We're now holding Kendrick and... Past fire. So hopefully he just chills out. He just wants to be, uh, you know, hell. So we'll he see. He wants to be a part of the podcast. Yeah. That's, that's really Episode 99. Um, so we uh, we got back from Florida this past Friday night. Kendrick's first flight, obviously. He yeah. was, what, 11 weeks old? Yeah. 10 weeks old. Yeah. He turned 11 weeks old turned 11 in weeks Florida. Old. Yeah. Um, and, you know, on the way there, he was, you know, a, probably an appropriate amount of fussiness. Yeah. You know, nothing too crazy, but it wasn't like... The smoothest ride either, but on the way back, total sleep the the entire time. Besides uh, the couple times where he nursed, but uh, yeah. we literally like we didn't like our screens were broken, but we didn't actually ask the like the attendant to fix it. We just like sat there in we were disbelief. Like, Don't move a muscle, <laughs> and we just sat there for three hours. It was actually the quickest flight that we've probably ever been on, and it was just it was amazing. Yeah, he was he was a perfect angel on the way home, so that was great. Um, yeah, he had his first beach trip. He had a lot of firsts for his beach trip. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did he have? Well, before that, he had... We haven't podcasted in so long. That's true, because yeah. Because it was the holidays, and then we went to New Jersey, so he had his first trip to New Jersey. Yeah. He met Jason's parents for the first time. A lot of firsts. So many firsts. Crazy. Yeah, he had his first hospital visit, but it wasn't for him, it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> I had a weird health scare. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. totally fine. I ended up being completely fine, but had to stay overnight for like 24-hour observation because my heart rate was elevated and yeah. blood pressure was low. We Yeah, it was like a crazy, like we, we checked you into urgent care thinking that you just get a couple antibiotics. I thought I had the flu. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden we're in the emergency room and then all of a sudden they're like, we're admitting you overnight. We're like, wow. And this was on Christmas Eve. We were yeah. like, I was like, can I sign something that just like lets me go home? And they were like, no. <laughs> but luckily everything was actually fine. Like I wasn't, I mean, it's kind of weird to, for the answer to be nothing's wrong but there was this like really weird random thing that just happened um but it's better than the alternative which was yeah. that something was wrong so yeah and literally the next day i mean you had like crazy migraine like symptoms and then we came back home and you had some coffee and literally oh my gosh it was it was a life-changing moment if i've i've only had two migraines in my life that's this was the second one and the first one i just took like excedrin migraine and i remember feeling that helped and i mean after like being in the total darkness and, yeah. like, and all that. But I checked the ingredients in Excedrin Migraine this time, and I couldn't take it because I'm breastfeeding. Um, but I saw that it has caffeine in it, and I was like, I'll just have some coffee. It's been like 48 hours since I've had any coffee. <laughs> I literally had two sips of coffee, and it was like life-changing. <laughs> like I could open my eyes again. I was like, this is a miracle. Look, her, her right eye was drooping like significantly <laughs> prior. And then after a sip of coffee, she goes into the bathroom, comes back out. I'm like, what happened? It was nuts. <laughs> 
um, a good advertisement for coffee. Though. Yeah, and <laughs> as we both sip our coffee right now. So anyway, that's a lot of um, catching up, but yeah. it's been a while. So hopefully that gets everybody up to speed on what we've been up to. <laughs> and now we're feeling feeling good after some Florida sun and ready to get back into a yeah. routine. Kendrick, please let us podcast now for another 20 minutes. Yeah, he's being great so far. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get into question number one. This one is from Amy Rattray, and she said... I have a couple questions about how to progress my pull-ups. Upper body work is much newer to me as I was definitely skeptical of being quote-unquote too built. If I worked out my shoulders and my arms, now I know better. I'm really enjoying the tone and variety it gives my workouts. Anyway, I just started doing the eccentric slash downward phase. I try to hold at various points of lowering down my body. Hopefully that makes sense. I don't really know what I should do before trying the concentric upward phase. It feels too far beyond my ability, but I'm keen to get pull-ups in 2019. Also, what difference does wrist slash hand position make? Thank you so much for your videos. I'm a trainee Pilates instructor and love the focus you guys have in your movements. Um, awesome. Okay. Yeah, I feel like we haven't talked about pull-ups in a while, so I just wanted to uh, you know, bring it back. Bring it back in 2019. <laughs> um, Jeff, uh starting point here yeah well so i think what she's starting out with is great focusing on the the eccentric portion yeah. um, that's something that not a lot of people know and so i'll just explain what she means by that in case the, those words are um not familiar to you so the eccentric portion of the pull-up is basically the part where you go from your chin being above the bar to going down into a hang so it's actually kind of like the second part of the mm -hmm. pull-up um but a lot of people have a lot of success with working on that part, so like jumping up to the top and lowering themselves down, and that actually working on that eccentric portion actually helps them to eventually be able to get stronger in the concentric portion, which is the actual pulling yourself up. Yeah. Um, do you want to explain the reasoning behind that? Um, you're always stronger um, yielding to the exercise as opposed to overcoming the force of the exercise. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you can let's say. Uh, for a bench press, you can always slowly lower something that's heavier than you can actually press back up. So um, an eccentric, eccentric strength is, is a way to uh, build your overall strength in general. Yeah. So so she's already doing that, it sounds like. She's like jumping up. And then she said it sounds like she's trying to pause at different parts of that lowering down process. Yeah. Which is also great. And it's really good for if you have any sticking points in your pull-up where you feel like you get to a certain point and then that you kind of feel stuck. Yeah. Pausing on the way down and holding that position at that point is, is great as well. Um, something that we think is really beneficial is to while working on eccentrics, you also really do need to still work on the concentric portion and just do it in an assisted manner. Yeah. Um, if you're only ever working on the eccentric and then just try to go right into a bodyweight pull-up, it's still usually not quite enough. Um, you haven't built quite enough strength and, and even just like muscle like memory or, you know. Yeah, just grooving that pattern yeah. overall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely categorize eccentric only pull-ups as a just a specialized variation of training. Um, but you definitely want the meat and potatoes of your training to be full-on repetition pull-ups um, using some sort of assistance. And, you know, we prefer um, bands as our primary means of doing so. And we, t uh, we typically recommend um, at a minimum two days a week of doing pull-ups, but we really like three days a week of doing pull-ups because it develops that consistency. And pull-ups just require a lot of... <laughs> really uh, just refining the groove and the pattern of the pull-up because if you're off in any little way your body really feels it and you just suddenly your your strength just shuts down because it's not in an optimal groove so we really just like patterning that pattern yeah 
And so what you'll need is if you have, if you go to a gym that has bands, um, that's great. If you are working out at home and you're using your own pull-up bar, we'd recommend getting a variety of um, like thicknesses for bands. So have a band that you can currently put around your foot and do eight pull-ups with. And then a band that you can currently put around your foot and do five pull-ups with. And then maybe one that you can currently do two pull-ups with. So yeah. you have like a, an, a light day, a medium day, and a heavy day. And you can alternate using those bands and just work on increasing the number of reps that you can get in each set. Until you feel like that medium day, that middle band, you can you can now do eight reps yeah. with. So that becomes then that becomes your light day band. Then your light day band becomes your medium day band. And you get a new band, a thinner one to become your heavy day band. Yeah. So you keep cycling through that way. And we've got a complete guide to getting your first pull-up on our YouTube channel that you should definitely check out where we actually lay out all the sets and reps um, in a more specific manner. But this is the, the reason why we like to incorporate um, full repetition pull-ups uh, using some assistance. Um, a couple of other things that we like to keep in mind are a lot of people like to go to um, complete failure. And we yeah. don't really like to do that because like I was talking about before, pull-ups require a very refined groove and a refined pattern. And if you go towards failure, you're gonna to start to do like funky stuff, whether it's like a shoulder shimmy or getting out of position or maybe kicking up your legs. And that that doesn't do anything for you in terms of grooving that pattern. So we wanna make sure that we stop, let's say a rep or two short of failure so that you know you're getting in perfect technical reps. Um, the second thing uh, that you wanna keep in mind is um, a lot of people like to really yank themselves up towards the bar as you're doing the pull-up. And that again, it's basically, you're, you're missing. <laughs> yeah. um, when you're yanking yourself up towards the bar, you're basically trying to speed up and go really quickly through a range of motion that you necessarily don't have control under. And so you use momentum, you use inertia to get over that sticking point, and then you kind of like ride that wave to get up to the top. And uh, you know, if you're actually doing an unassisted pull-up, it's gonna be really difficult to do that. So we really, even when the band assistance is so easy and feels like it's nothing, and you could feel like yourself like flying up there, we actually purposely slow down our members on the way up in order to make sure that we really. Um, refine that technique on the way up and they're not just uh, speeding through any inefficiencies that they might have. Yeah, definitely. And then the last thing is uh, she talked about uh, what difference does wrist slash hand positioning make? Oh, yeah. So like an overhand grip, uh, underhand grip, or a neutral grip. Um, and there are, there are definitely differences there. So an overhand grip is typically what we would call a pull-up. Um, where your palms are facing away from you. Underhand grip would be a chin up where your palms are facing toward you. And then a neutral grip would be where your palms are facing toward each other. Yep. Um, that's actually our preferred grip just because it's the easiest on the shoulders. Yeah. Um, most people have, and, and it kind of more evenly distributes which muscle groups are working. So with a chin up, it focuses it a lot more on your biceps, whereas a pull up, it's a lot more on your back. Mm -hmm. um, I think a neutral grip kind of disperses it a little bit more evenly. Yeah, your forearms can contribute a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, it's just an easier position on your shoulders from a mobility standpoint as well, being in that neutral position. So we tend to gravitate towards uh, that variation at first. And then once people get proficiency with that pattern, then we'll explore different grips. But we're not really too concerned with exactly which muscle groups it works. We're more right. concerned about the overall pulling pattern itself because, you know, 
if you can pull yourself over a bar um, without assistance, like you're, you're getting a lot of benefit throughout your entire upper body. Um, and we don't have to really nitpick and focus on, oh, this one helps the biceps a little more, so I want to choose this one. We're just more concerned about the pattern overall, and that's going to do a lot more for us than just singling out uh, specific, specific muscle groups. Right. We just focus usually on the one that feels the best for the individual, and typically that's the neutral grip. Most people just feel like that feels best on their shoulders and just kind of feels like the most natural groove. Yeah, definitely. All right. Cool. Cool. So question number two, this one comes from... Lila Duffy, and or Lila Duffy. Um, she said, how does one get over the fear of getting under the bar in the snatch? Um, this is a really good question. Um, it's probably, this is probably more of a, a niche question, but I, I figured, um, I thought I could uh, help address this one. Basically, in a barbell snatch, you are picking up a barbell from the floor, lifting it over your head, and catching it in an overhead squat position. So uh, it's, a, it's one of the primary Olympic lifts. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. Um, and basically, it when you first learn it, there's a there's an element of like, am I gonna be okay as the bar is going overhead? And you kind of have to trust yourself that it's not gonna come crashing down on you, or you're gonna be falling backwards. And really, the only way to break that and to understand that you have a lot more control than you realize is just by practicing a lot with lighter weights that you know you can control and just doing it over and over and over again. It just really takes just a lot of practice. And so let's say you can snatch um, 75 pounds and that's your one rep max. You should probably do a lot of reps and I'm talking like anywhere from uh, eight to 10 to even 12 sets of doubles and triples and just constantly uh, practicing those uh, the, the tech, that technique at let's say 55 pounds or 60 pounds, even though you can snatch a lot heavier than that, you want to practice it with lighter weights so that you know you can really, you know, dial it in and dial it in at that practice. Because that if you just go right to 70, 75 pounds, you might miss some here and there. And again, we want to make sure that you practice perfect technique. Um, so just doing it that way. The other thing that I like to do um, with Olympic lifts um, when people are first transitioning from like more of a beginner towards that intermediate stage is to put in a lot of every minute on the minute repetitions. And the reason for that is with Olympic lifts, there's just so much thinking involved that you can really think your way to missing the lift. And I really like every minute on the minute or every other minute on the minute because you don't really have that much time to think about uh, what's going on. You can maybe think about one thing and that actually will help your lift. It's only when you start to rest three, four, five minutes at a time, you're like, oh, I could have moved my feet out better this way or I could have uh, positioned my hands this way. And then suddenly paralysis by analysis kicks in and you're like, you, you suddenly start to get the yips and you start to miss all of a sudden. So I like every minute on the minute, every other minute on the minute as kind of a way to keep you honest and to make sure that you're focusing on just, you know, that repetition at hand rather than, you know, how many millions of things that you could fix in that moment. So, um, yeah, setting a timer and then also um, having a, what was the first thing I said? Going lighter. <laughs> oh, going going lighter and doing a lots of reps. Yeah. So don't 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 just do like you know three sets of three and call it a day, but just practice, practice, practice. Yeah, and I would say um, a couple other things that helped me were um, practicing overhead squats and also practicing like drop snatches. Um, oh yeah, that's very true. So those two things because you're not having to go through the entire movement, but the bottom position is usually the part that's the like. 
I quote unquote scariest if you're, if you're like not used to dropping down into a squat with a barbell over your head. Mm -hmm. And so practicing just with a lightweight, just practicing overhead squats or even just like going down into the bottom of the squat with the bar over your head, just getting comfortable there. You used to have me, um, in my program, I think you had me do, was it drop snatches or was it snatch? Snatch balances, Snatch balances, yeah. where you have you start with the barbell on your back, like you're going to do a back squat, mm-hmm. and then you you press it, or like you kind of do a push press up with it, and yeah. drop into a, the bottom of a squat at the same time. And Jason would have me do one, and then hold the bottom position for like three or four seconds. Yeah. And just start to get really comfortable in that bottom position, because I think that, for me at least, what was the scariest about snatches when I was first learning them is that I just didn't feel confident in the bottom of, in an overhead squat. Yeah, totally. And so it was scary every time because I wasn't sure if I was going to like fall backwards or fall forwards. Or <laughs> I just didn't feel very confident in that pattern. So getting into that position and holding it and just feeling a little bit more comfortable and confident there, I think definitely really helps too. Yeah, yeah. That's a totally good point. Snatch balances. Um, I know uh, Olympic lifting coaches will actually prescribe uh, or will recommend that their athletes snatch balance heavier than they can actually snatch. Um, because again, it cuts off the whole pull from the floor, the second pull, it just focuses on that dropping component. And if you can snatch balance more than you can snatch, then you know that you are pretty confident in getting that weight overhead in that bottom uh, of the squat position. So I think, um, I think that can really help as well. So good, uh, good addition there. Cool. All right. And then the last one is from I'm Methel. I never know how to read these. Do you like, how would you pronounce that? Uh, Emethel. <laughs> There's so many ways you could. I think uh, Instagram should have like a phonetic. Oh, there should be. Yeah. yeah how, to, how to read. Ours uh, would be a cave, a bastard. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you forgot fitness. Oh, yeah. Achieve Boston. Achieve Boston. That's it. That could be like a cool tourist yeah. company or something. Anyway, um, last question is what to do when experiencing a plateau? Which is a great question and something that a lot of people experience. And so... Yeah. I mean, should we tackle this from a, like, a weight loss plateau or more of a, like, a strength plateau? Let's talk about both since we don't know which one they're referring to. Okay. So I'll start out with people experiencing a weight loss plateau. Um, And the first thing I would say is to, like, if you have already been losing weight and with and things have been working and you feel good and things are going well, I would just reevaluate where you're at and if you really feel like you need to continue losing weight. I think a lot of times we get into, I know I used to get into this, like, weight loss mindset where it was like, I need to constantly continue losing weight. And it's yeah. like, at a certain point, are you, if you're eating really healthy and you're feeling really good and you're, you're feeling strong and, like all these things are going well, do you, does the last five pounds really matter? Like, yeah, that just becomes a really exhausting process of constantly trying to, um, deprive yourself, trying to constantly test your willpower. It just, it, it can really burn you out over time. Yeah. And so I would say there's definitely a point, like people call it plateauing, but for me, it's like maintaining is a better way of looking at it. Unless you're like, you just really have a long way to go in your mind and you feel like you still want to lose weight like that's totally fine but just make sure that you are evaluating if you really are hitting a plateau or if your body is actually like hey this is where we like to this is where we like to be Mm -hmm. like I feel good here I'm at this like kind of homeostasis where everything is easy we're eating healthy we're working out and this is how my body is showing up and sometimes that's much, it's always much more important than hitting some target weight or being at a weight that you think you're supposed to be at. Like, 
just make sure that you take the time to actually think about these things and actually ask yourself why you want to continue losing weight or if you really are actually pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that's something that you always point towards in your nutrition consultations or your nutrition groups is trying to delve into what the root cause or the root reason why you, you want the effect that you want to actually have. And then suddenly people are like, you know what, I, I don't actually want to lose weight. I just wanted to, you know, feel a little bit better. I want to um, be able to move around with my kids a little bit easier. Like a lot of these other reasons actually start to come in play and they're like, oh, I guess that those last three pounds shouldn't be like, it's not worth obsessing over. Yeah. And so that's kind of my next thing is there are definitely strategies for continuing weight loss, but Mm -hmm. just don't just do it blindly. Like make sure that you're every step of the way you're asking yourself how you're feeling, like, you know, why, why you want to keep going or if you're comfortable with continuing the habits that you're doing now and, and maintaining. So, yeah. And I think, I think that maintaining part is really important too. Like, it, you know, if you if you want to continue to lose weight for whatever um, reason, um, you know, that you have, I think having pockets of time where you actually allow yourself to maintain or even slide back just a little bit is totally fine. You don't have to be in an endless cycle of just losing weight, right? Because yeah. uh, that, that goes back to the whole um, burnout and exhaustion mentality. But if you allow yourself a little bit of time to like, you know, maybe around the holidays, you get to just kind of like relax a little bit, enjoy with family. And then you know that come January, February, you can kind of kick it back up a little bit again. Um, but just going through a little bit of cycles like that. Yeah. And so if you're, if you're at a point where you're like, okay, I have been doing like X, Y, and Z and it's been working for me and I've been losing weight, but now I'm stuck. Um, the first thing I would look at is just the food quality is usually what I'll look at first. So if somebody comes to me and they say, um, I've hit a plateau, we'll talk about obviously everything we just talked about. And then I'll say, okay, so tell me what you're eating on like a daily basis. Like give me, um, a rundown of what a typical day looks like. And maybe, um, like lunch and dinner, like they're having a salad for lunch with protein in it. And then at dinner, they're having like a protein carb and vegetable combo and everything looks really good. But For breakfast, they're usually grabbing like a bagel or they're grabbing a muffin or something Mm -hmm. that's just not as um, nutritionally dense. So that's where we'll start is like, okay, if that's the habit that you're in there, maybe this one change there might actually spark a little more progress again. So even though it was working for you to do that and to have the healthy lunch and dinner, maybe now we do have to take another step in order to get over this plateau. So let's look at breakfast and maybe we can talk about having like an egg and vegetable scramble in the morning or something Mm -hmm. that has a little more nutrient in it besides um, a muffin or something. Even if the calories are the same, sometimes just changing up the the quality of the food um, can really make a difference. And then another thing would be looking at calorie intake. And I try not to get too specific with like weighing your food or counting all your calories unless you're like competing or bodybuilding or really, really need to get super lean. I don't think that that's something that is necessary or like very sustainable. Mm -hmm. I used to do it and it's not sustainable. I can tell you that. (laughs) Um, So we, I usually just look at overall food quantity and try to assess like, are there areas that we could easily replace maybe something that you're eating that's a little more calorie dense with something that's a little more nutrient dense. So that would be kind of the same idea, I guess, as I'm talking about for breakfast. Like say you're eating a muffin for breakfast that typically maybe has 300 calories and not a lot of nutrients. If you can have two eggs and a big handful of spinach for breakfast instead, it's going to be a lot less calories and it's going to be a lot more nutrients. So you're kind of killing both birds with one stone. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are just the little things that you want to start looking at. Just start tracking what you're doing on a daily basis from a 
food intake standpoint and just start to see the patterns and see where there's one or two changes that you can start to make. Um, definitely take it one or two changes at a time. Try not to do this like ma major overhaul. Um, because that will be a lot more difficult to maintain. Yeah, all, yeah, and, and going on that maintaining front, if you can go like start making one or two or three different changes and you do it slowly and conservatively, you can understand what is causing either a spike in weight gain or uh, a decrease um, in terms of weight loss, generally speaking. Um, and you can kind of go off that a little bit, right? That's true, but if you change a million things at once, you don't actually know what was the thing the, that helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you, you, you're stuck doing all those things when, right. while you're maintaining, you could ac actually maintain a lot, uh, you know, fewer variables. Right. So it becomes a, you know, a much more difficult thing to track. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as we don't really like to talk about restricting calories because that can get into a really quick game of slashing calories and really dramatically cutting it to the point where it can affect your metabolism, it can affect your energy levels, that starts leaking into the energy output that you can maintain throughout your workouts, and it just becomes a very um, depleting um, way of basically treating your body, right? Yeah, and I mean, I used to, when I would try to focus on calories, and I used to have like, you know, food journals where I was logging every single thing that I consumed. And I would work so hard to not have a lot of calories in the beginning of the day because I was like, all right, if the, the less I have in the morning, like I can <laughs> save them up. And it just, you just get into this weird cycle of doing, you just start doing weird things. Like yeah. I would do really damaging things and I wasn't doing it on purpose. It was just like what seemed like it made the most sense. Like yeah. if I don't eat breakfast, then I can have a little bit more at lunch and then I can have a little bit more at dinner and it just gets into this really negative cycle. Yeah. So. And I think in America, it's kind of like a, it's, it's a classic American approach of more is better, right? And so you start to slash calories even more and yeah. then increase calorie expenditure through physical exercise even more. And Kendrick's choking on milk right now. <laughs> I'm currently breastfeeding Kendrick to keep him quiet. Um, yeah, and this just goes to just this nasty cycle, and suddenly your body's just so drained, so depleted, and just in a not great state. And yeah. we, we see this happen a lot. So instead of talking about calorie restriction, a lot of times we talk about, okay, how can we start to um, either increase ex energy expenditure or increase muscle mass, which we know as a byproduct increases energy expenditure just because it elevates your um, resting metabolic rate. We start to think about those things. So just an easy way to think about your training is, you know, if someone's working out twice a week, like the next logical progression is, okay, can we fit in a third day a week? And if that's the case, then great, then we add that in. And just by virtue of that, you're uh, expelling more calories. So you know that, you know, you're, you're trending in the direction that you want to go towards. Um, but let's say that someone actually just can't fit in another day, then we need to figure out how can we make those sessions a little bit more dense so that they're a little bit more effective. Um, and if that's the case, let's say we, we always just try to go back from what the person was currently, what they were currently doing. So let's say they were doing, um, you know, one aerobic session on a treadmill and then the other day they were doing three sets of 10 on four different pieces of equipment. You know, from there, what we can do is just tr uh, change up the stimulus just a little bit. Maybe we can go for more compound exercises like squats and deadlifts and bench pressing. And we can do that twice a week because um, we know that compound movements tend to build the most amount of lean muscle mass. 
um, and just gives us opportunities for you know other forms of strenuous exercise down the road because it sets up such a good foundation. Um, so now you already get the benefit of having um, you know more strenuous exercise, and you also increase um, the, your metabolic rate because you're developing more muscle mass. And you can go about things that way. Sorry, I was looking into Kendrick's eyes. <laughs> I got really distracted. Um, um, but yeah, to, so to recap this whole thing, uh, we, we were kind of bouncing around a lot because uh, it's just so psychological, right? This, this, well, there's just so many different factors. That's true, that yeah. It can be stress. It can be sleep. It could be nutrition. It could be training. Like, there's so many different factors. And even it can be when we're talking about plateaus, we could be talking about different things. We could be talking about weight loss or we could be talking about strength gains. Yeah, we could or be talking muscle about, gain. Yeah. yeah, a lot of different things. So we're a little all over the place just to try to give you an idea of basically the fact that a lot of different things can work um, and a lot of it takes a lot of experimentation and a lot of self uh, like reflection, reflection yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess to sum it all up I think uh, the very first point is just overall mindset and overall psychology and overall self-reflection like you were yeah. just talking about um, just making sure that you actually want to do the thing that you have you know, kind of loosely set yourself up to do yeah the right? worst answer for why do you want to continue losing weight is um, you know, because I feel like I should, yeah. or like, if it's like a lot of people will say, I want to get to like 130 pounds and be like, okay, why, why is that? And they're like, oh, well, that's like what my BMI chart says or, yeah. you know, like different things. And it's like, these are all external factors that are like other people telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. And it's most important that you feel comfortable with the goal that you set for yourself and that it's coming from a place of like feeling good about it. Yeah. If you feel at all negative about the fact that you want to lose weight or negative about the fact that you want to get over this plateau and you feel like it's something that you're supposed to do and that you have to do and you're dreading it, I would definitely start to reevaluate your goals and start to ask yourself like maybe I should maybe I should set something completely different. Maybe I should stop focusing on weight loss for a minute and just and be like I'm going to set a goal of doing a Spartan race yeah. or just something completely different that gets you excited and gets you feeling good. Um Usually, like for me, whenever I set a weight loss goal in the past, it was like punishment. Like I treated it like I was yeah. punishing myself. And that's just something that feels horrible. It's not going to be sustainable because you're going to just be sad all the time. And yeah. <laughs> so just, again, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of asking yourself why you want to keep going, why you want to do certain things. And as long as you can say like very truthfully, I feel good about this, then then move forward with some of the things that we were talking about. Yeah. And then the second point is uh, eating, uh, you know, higher quality foods. And I like the way you put it, nutritionally dense foods, mm -hmm. um, you know, is a good way to go. And then the third point is to think about, you know, f uh, portion control and just food choices, but making sure that you're not going so overboard that you're really restricting and limiting yourself and really running yourself down and depleting yourself as a result of that but making sure that you systematically making one two changes at a time and really um, steadily doing so and then the fourth thing is uh, just increasing energy expenditure somehow whether it's adding more training days or reevaluating your current training days and making sure that you're doing something that could be um, that could yield a better output over the long haul yeah yeah 
Cool. I think that's about it and enough distractions from Kendrick. We've had lots of distractions in this podcast, but hopefully we were able to still answer your burning questions. So um, we really appreciate everybody who submitted questions and we're going to be back on a pretty regular schedule from here on out. So if you have questions of your own, you can send us a DM at Achieve Fitness Boston on Instagram, or you can ask us questions on um, our Instagram stories or on any of our posts on our page. Yeah. And we also would really, really appreciate an iTunes review. If you like the podcast, that would be awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I think we got three since the last time we, uh, we talked about it. So thank you all. Thank you so much. And until next time. Peace. Love. And, and muscles. muscles.